Hey, we are in, this is the third week of our Advent series, uh, Becoming Human. And last week we looked at uh, the man named Zachariah who, who was hoping for a child for his entire life, he and his wife. And then finally, when he was advanced in years, he said he was old, he called his wife advanced in, in years, which is the wise thing to do. Uh, she, uh, he got the message from Gabriel that he was going to have a son. And Gabriel gives him all of this wonderful thing, like, this is what your son will do. And Zechariah's response was essentially, are you sure? And then there was this thing that happened to him. If you remember the story, Zechariah was struck mute. Uh, You can go on in the text and find out that he wasn't only mute, he was also what the text defines as kophos, which was deaf. So he couldn't hear and he couldn't talk. For nine months, which is crazy. But there's probably some bright sides to this. You know, for for those of you who are wondering, and those of you know, and some of you have had experience with this, there is a lot of pressure when there is a child coming into your life. There is a lot of questions that comes in. Everyone is always going to ask you these questions. Do you know what the gender is? Which is easy, like if you if you want to know. I don't know why you would not want to know. Uh, if you were expecting, but for him, answers that they didn't have ultrasounds back then, so he's like, yep, it's a boy. And then the next question always comes, what are their names going to be? And that's usually a personal thing. Do you know what you're going to name him or her? Do you know what you're going to do? And then the weirdest question that I ever got when with our two boys is, do you ever wonder what they're going to look like? No. I would always answer, I hope they look like Carrie or I. Uh, If they don't, this is going to be awkward for everybody involved. This is going to be weird. I would only say, I hope they look human. Uh, My mom was always big on what we were going to name our children. And and my mom is one that has an opinion on just about everything. And so she would say, what are you going to name him after we found out that they were both boys? And I was always the smart Alec one, surprising, right? I would say, well, I was thinking about Melchizedek. <laughs> and she would look at me like, uh, and I said, or Zerubbabel, or, or Jehoshaphat, you know, what are these things? I would always pick an Old Testament name because I, I don't know that my mom was generally worried that I was going to do something about it. Or we'd say we were going to name him after some movie star or something like that. And so she had her reasons. But with these names and with all the questions comes a lot of judgments. So you want to keep them secret. At the same time, there's so much excitement about what's going to take place in your life with this incoming baby that it's difficult to keep it under wraps. And then, finally, when the baby comes, this question always comes up, I wonder what they're going to do, which is almost more appropriate. It's like, oh, you're looking at this baby, and you see all of these, this potential. And so today, I'll get the question about Judah and Caleb, and we're going to hear them in a minute, because they're loud. Uh, and, and I'll get the question, what are they going to do? And my hope is like, I hope they stay alive, because uh, I, I, like, they do some weird stuff jumping off windowsills and off couches and everything. I hope they, you know, make it. Or I hope they they don't fall off the roof. But it's fun to wonder what's going to happen. Well, Zechariah had an easy out of this. He knew all of these things. He knew what was coming. He knew what God had said about this baby boy that was coming his way. He had a name. He knew exactly when it was going to happen. And he knew what this child was going to become. And he knew the gender. He had all the answers. The problem, 
He couldn't say anything about it. He just had to sit and watch. The angel answered all the questions that were going to come his way. All the questions settled. It must have been nice as they're looking at Elizabeth wondering and dreaming. And he's like, I have the answer for you. But they didn't have sign language. They didn't have anything to communicate. Half the people in the world back then couldn't read or write. And so he's just kind of stuck watching. Zechariah watched a lot that day. And it must have been something for him to observe. Here he knows something will not only come, but he knows the good news of his son is that he will prepare the way for the Messiah. Zechariah knew a lot about this hope for the Messiah. The world of Israel in the day of Luke 1 knew much about this hoped Messiah that would come. Long expected, says the song, and they were right. This is a promise that was coming from Genesis 3, that God was going to send someone to redeem, to restore, to give life, give mercy, justice, and most of all, this Messiah was going to bring peace. Once again, this is exciting for, uh, for, for Zechariah. He knows what's coming, yet again, he can't tell anyone. And the ache that must have been happening in the world that day was this, that God seems silent in all of their things going on in the world. The last time they had heard from a prophet of God was something like 432 years before this. And since then, crickets. Nothing. The silence that was broken by Gabriel that day in the temple was the first time God had spoken to somebody or sent a message to somebody in the very, very long time. And Gabriel told him this, and Zechariah couldn't say anything about this. But there's something that happens that when you're silent, Usually you pick up on things that, that you would have normally not paid attention to. If we were to do some silent time here, which is always awkward and we're not going to do it right now, but if we were just to be quiet, plug our ears, you would start to notice things that you don't necessarily notice. Your other senses begin to pick up on things, maybe your smell or your sight, your touch. You're sensing things all around you. For Zachariah, I wonder what he began to see when he was quiet, when he couldn't hear. The things that he gotten used to, the things that he probably explained away, maybe the things that he, he took for granted. Perhaps he noticed more than ever that in his day and in his time, there were enemy soldiers patrolling the streets of Jerusalem. The Romans had invaded a few decades before and they took control. And now in his streets of Jerusalem, maybe he had gotten so used to seeing this that he just kind of glossed over it. But now he's noticing there goes a Roman centurion with a sword. There goes a whole group of them. And now I'm taking notice of what they are. Now these guys are searching for weapons and they're looking for a fight and we are under siege. Perhaps he noticed how the people around him were being exploited forced to pay more taxes than the others should, forced to carry supplies and take it on the chin from this Roman government. Perhaps he noticed that this Pax Romana, what Rome bragged about, this piece of Rome that was worldwide, was only useful for a select few. And he, maybe he began to notice how cruel and how much of a puppet his king was. The one that was supposed to look out for his people was corrupt. The one who was supposed to look out for his people was a murderer. And perhaps he's seeing all of these things take place. And I wonder how frustrated he got seeing everyone around them pursue peace in the wrong direction. And he couldn't say anything about it. 
They would pursue peace uh, in various, uh, various ways, and it would always lead them more emptiness. I wonder how many times his heart broke. And with all that he took in, perhaps he held on to most what Gabriel was saying. Maybe he looks out the street and sees all of this, and the voice, the last voice that was ringing in his ears was Gabriel saying, your son is going to lead the way for perfect peace. Your son is going to lead the way for the Messiah. Maybe he was dying to tell the people around him who were looking for peace that would only come from God. That peace was on the way. All the hopes that he had probably swelled with every day as Elizabeth's belly swelled. And he looks in there and he feels and all of the things going, this is, but I can't say anything about it. The peace from, from knowing that God was still on the move, even though the world around him told him otherwise. And I think a lot of us can identify with Zechariah. Perhaps the not the no speaking or no hearing options. Uh, maybe that's for some of you, perhaps. But maybe we can identify that he's able to see what is going on in the world. And he has a solution of what it might be. He sees the world around him and he sees a lack of hope. He sees a lack of perspective. He sees the lack of peace. And like Zechariah, you see the results of everyone pursuing the, uh, the peace from the wrong direction. They're pursuing a wholeness that they'll never find outside of Christ. And we see this in the world around us, right? We see this if we walk three blocks that way and four blocks that way and across the street. I went for a lot of walks throughout this neighborhood this last week. I walked down, down on Marcus Street, down Leary for a little while, down on Social, even made it over to Golden Gardens. I wore my feet out. But we no I noticed a lot. And you tend to notice a lot when you walk around and you don't say anything. You tend to notice that there are people hurting. There are people lost. There are people who are trapped and this is beyond the homeless encampments in the tent cities. This is beyond that. There were people at the crosswalk next to me that the despair is written all over their face. People sitting in traffic, and I notice that they're weeping. You can't help but read the faces of people around you if you take the time to observe. It was a heavy week. And there's a heaviness that's around our society and around our culture right now. People need peace. They need wholeness. And I notice that in each of us. In fact, we are all searching for peace in some way or another. And like Zechariah, at that time, this week, I wasn't given the words to say anything. I just watched. And as I'm watching, I'm seeing this. H have you been there? Have you observed this kind of thing in our city, in our culture? Maybe it's even in your home. Zechariah had been. And for nine months, he had been wondering, when is, when is he going to finally be able to announce what is going on. So when the time fame finally came, he was ready. He had exactly what he needed to say. So if you look in your Bible, if you have it with you, Luke 1, verse 57. I'm going to go here. It might be on the screen. It might not. But if you don't, uh, if it's not on the screen, then you have an app. If you don't have an app, we have some Bibles to give you. This is called Zechariah's Song. But before this, John was born, John the Baptist, Luke 1, 57. When it came time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 
He's to be called John. Zechariah had told her that it's John. Maybe he wrote it out. Maybe they figured it out. You are supposed to call him John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives with that name. And so they made signs to his father to find out uh, what he would like to name the child. Now, I'm terrible at charades. And when I read this, I think of the charade game. And <laughs> movie sounds like... what. What are we doing? And so I'm awful at that. If you ever play charades with me, I don't even try sometimes. And so Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, which in the charades game, Allie tells me that's cheating. So he he gets a tablet, and everyone's astonished when he wrote, his name is John. And then, I love this word, immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak praising God. Now, this is something to take in. Now, it seems like, oh, they just named him John, but this is unexpected. Probably more unexpected than Elizabeth in her advanced age having a baby was was more unexpected that they would not name him Zachariah Jr. or someone in their family line. In that day, you name the child after a relative. So they don't understand this. Why on earth would you name him John? This has to be a mistake. This is unexpected. But Zechariah knew what he was doing. He knew that God was doing something differently, and he knew that things could not be done the way they've been done before. Plus, he's had some time to think about this all to himself. Yet there's some significance that we can draw from this. Rather than just going along with the way things have already been done, God is doing something new through this child. And in order to do something new, they had to ditch the old ways of doing things. God was fulfilling promises in ways that no one was going to expect. God was fulfilling these promises, and ditching the family name was just the first thing. God was launching his plan to bring peace, and it would look completely different than everybody else's definition of peace in this world. It looked completely different than anything that anyone has ever been seen. And the first step was to step away from doing things the old way and begin doing things in God's way. His name's going to be John. It was unexpected, but it had to be that way. For 432 years, they've been trying to bring peace in their own way, peace on their own plan, peace in their own path. And this time, God says, that hasn't gotten you anywhere. It's given you more pain. It's given you more heartache. It's brought you more frustration. It's led you down the road of more cynicism and disappointment. And perhaps you can understand this. Perhaps you yourself are in the middle of this kind of cycle. You're searching for peace, but all you find is the opposite of it. You're searching for meaning, but all you find is confusion. You're searching for worth, yet you just find cynicism. You're searching for wholeness, and all you find is heartbrokenness. It's not that your search is bad. Those things are great to search for. Those are great things to look for. However, where you're searching and how you're searching is always going to lead you in the same place. Perhaps it's time you break the cycle of the way you search. Perhaps it's time you define different search parameters or stop using Google or wherever else you're searching. Maybe go to DuckDuck. I don't know what else. Bing? Does anyone use Bing? Perhaps it's time to, to change the way you're searching. True peace, which is what all of us are deeply longing for, whether we realize it or not. True peace is not, the true meaning, the true acceptance is not found in a job. It's not found in a relationship. It's not found in a status, an account, a promotion, a friendship, maybe the internship. It's not found in new shoes or a new home or a new car. 
those aren't going to get you any closer than the peace that you're searching for. And perhaps for each, each one of us, we need to break the cycle. Each of those searches that we're looking for, when it comes to wholeness or heart or, 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 or peace, those are symptoms of peace. Those are the downstream results of true peace. You don't find peace in upping your account status. You don't find peace by consuming the new product. Peace is only found when you go straight to the source. We want wholeness. Don't pursue wholeness. If you want wholeness, pursue the source of peace. True peace is only found with the author of peace. You will only find peace by searching and finding who is known as the Prince of Peace. We all want peace. The people who I saw up and down these streets this week as I was walking, searching for peace, but finding it in the wrong place. And for God to break into that cycle, we have to be open to this idea that God is going to do something completely different than what you and I have done in the past. And that's what God is doing here. In order to get through to them, he has to get their attention. And look at, look at their response. Everyone who heard this wondered about it. What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with them. This child was born under some weird circumstances. So there's some things about this kid that doesn't make sense. And now his name is John, not Zechariah or Aaron or Zadok, all the people in Zechariah's line. His name is John. So the question seemed to make sense. This kid was different. This kid is going to do something special. It's interesting when you hear that about your child. Before my dad died, my, my son was born in November. My dad died in late January. And so, and with that, we brought Judah down for Christmas, knowing that dad didn't have much time. We brought him and dad got to see him. And then towards the end, we snuck Judah into the ICU. Don't tell anybody. They said it was okay as long as we were quick. But my dad got to see Judah for, one of the, for the last time that day. And as he looked at Judah and looked at us, he said, there's something special about this one. There's something different about him. And he had, I hope my brothers and sister don't see this, he had other kids he could have said this about, but he didn't, uh, that I know of, right? But he said, there's something special about this one. And he put his hand on him. And my dad had these three taps when he couldn't speak. He would say, that was, I love you. And he tapped him three times. And he said, there's something special. This one's going to do something. And we've held on to that. Uh, even though yesterday we, we could have done without Judah. He was, he was a special kind of Judah yesterday. Um, but, <laughs> oh, they both were. But anyway, we, but we've held on to that, that, that premonition that my dad had. There's something special here. And they looked at, at John's son and they knew this. And now, like a proud father, Zechariah begins to talk. He begins to tell people just how special this son of his is. And he goes on for a while, right? He goes on all the way till the end of Luke chapter 1, till from like verse uh, 67 through 80. That's a long time, right? We're not going to look at all of them because we'd all kind of go, this is taking forever. But he spoke about how great his son was going to be. After all, he's had, some, he's had a while to prepare his thoughts. I wonder if he pulled out like a, a Walgreens receipt with everything on there. This is what's going to happen. But look at what he says. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. 
Now, prophesy just means you're speaking truth. You're, you're, you're saying what God has said about somebody else. You're agreeing with God about something. He says this, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people to redeem them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the, in the house of his servant, David. The horn of salvation was a way of saying victory in a time of battle. The horn was used in Deuteronomy, was used in First and Second Samuel. The horn of salvation was, was, a, was a way of like, this is going to bring victory for us. As he said long ago through his holy prophets, verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all of our days. Now, before we dive into this, it's important that we look at this. What Zechariah is doing is he's wrote a poem. It fits right in with the same way the Psalms were written. And when we look at Psalms, it's, it's applying what they're saying to our life can be tricky. We don't have the same experience as Zechariah did. We don't have the same context as Zechariah does. We're not concerned with Rome all that much, are we? No, we, we don't have Roman soldiers patrolling here and there. We have a different world. But we can do, what we can do when we look at this, is find out that some of the tension, some of the hope, and some of the faith that Zechariah had, we share in. Zechariah is coming to grips with the circumstances that God placed into his life. So when we look here, the attitudes of faith, trust, hope, joy, sorrow, and sometimes uh, the, the honesty in which the problem is faced, especially with Zechariah, that can instruct us. So we look at what Zechariah has done. The first section we hear, and it's split into two, the first section that Zechariah talks about is he's talking about from a, from a perspective of a very spiritual man of God who's had to learn the hard way about trusting in God. He's had to learn the hard way about taking God for his word. And what he's learning is that God will keep his promises. All around Zechariah this time uh, were various ways on how peace was achieved. Everyone had an opinion. Can we say that about our culture? Every one of you has a different opinion about how you will achieve peace. Walk outside, you're going to find two more. What's the joke? If you ask five people how to achieve peace, you'll get 15 responses. This is what was happening in this world. And, and so for some of them, it was to side with Rome, to let go of your culture, to let go of your heritage, to drop your, your religion and become Roman. Let go of your Jewishness. And the thought behind this was, because they're winning. Rome seems to be doing it right. So let's drop everything that we know, everything that we know to be true, everything that we learned from Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Elijah, all the prophets, just get rid of it, join Rome. That was one way of, of finding peace. For others, it was to go complete opposite. If siding with Rome was what we did, then others said, we're going to side with religion. If you just worked harder, they said, to keep the law, if you just worked harder to keep all 613 commandments, then you would find peace. But not just the 613. Let's talk about the additional couple hundred that were laws about the laws to ensure that we wouldn't break the law. Does that make sense? So if the speed limit's 55, we're going to say the speed limit's 35, so you're not tempted to break 55 which is entirely too slow to begin with. But they would say, obey all of these laws. 
then you'll find peace. Their intentions were good, but their intentions led them to a legalistic way of life, and the result was misguided. So you had side with Rome, become just like the world around you, lose your distinctiveness, or dive completely into your uh, religion that you completely lose your distinctiveness on that far. And then there was another way. There were still others who tried to find peace by, uh, we call it living off the grid, which is sometimes appealing, right? They would go into the hills, into the mountains that are outside of Israel, and they would hide, and they would prepare for a revolt. They were the Essenes. They were the ones that tried assassination attempts on Roman officials. They were the zealots. And so it was become completely like Rome, come, uh, or go the opposite direction, or separate yourself from all of the world, and then you'll find peace. Yet with every single one of these approaches, they were all misguided. They were all trying to bring about God's promises, and each one of them had, the, had separate values that might have been good, but none of them, none of them ended where their search was hoping. With each of these thoughts came ways of living. The ways of living became the commands, and their commands became confused with God's commands. Their rules of life for all three of them uh, trumped whatever God's command was, even and they viewed them as this is the way God tells us to live, even though it wasn't. So their definitions of peace became diluted to match their own thoughts instead of God's. We do this today, especially, especially today, with our ideas about justice, with, our, with what worldviews we have, with our view of life before birth, with our view of sexuality, with view of our finances. We do this in order to match the world around us We'll give up what God might say about all those and just go along with what everyone else says. Why? It's more peaceful. I don't have to get in an argument. I don't have to have a hard conversation with people. We think we're, we're, we're finding peace, but it has nothing to do with God's peace. It has everything to do with adapting to the culture and the customs we live in. The world's idea of how to achieve peace will always be short-sighted, and ultimately ineffective, it always ends up having to do more with us and less about who God made us. And so Zechariah learns this, and what he expressed in the first part of the song is that God keeps his promises, not because of anything you and I might do, not because of whatever custom or train of thought or peer pressure we have, but because of who God is and what God says. God keeps his promises, and the more you trust in God, and the God who keeps his word, the more peace you will have in every single area. So he's pointing back to this God who has always been the same. When the customs of your life are based on the commands of God, you'll find the peace you're looking for. To hear God and follow God's way to peace is more important than following other people's good ideas that lead to nowhere. In verse 72, we see this played out. Zechariah says, He has shown mercy through his covenant. The word mercy there is the word has said, uh, and it means this, a loyal love, and it carries with it the idea of God's mercy isn't a matter of mere words, but a mercy that is based on concrete action. It describes what God will do in order to keep those promises, even when the world around us is chaos and seeking. God keeps his promises. And for Zechariah that day, God has kept his promise. He's fulfilling the prophecies that have come a long time ago, and it's going to happen, it's going to be fulfilled even more in the person of Jesus. 
who his son is going to point to. The first half of this song, of this poem, is all about God, what God has done to keep his promise. The second half of it is about you and I. It's about John, but it's about you and I. It says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare a way from him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the pathway of peace. Baby John was born with a mission. It must be nice, right? He knew exactly what he was going to do. There was no searching for it. He was going to build the superhighway to peace. He was going to be a prophet of God. His dad knew it. His mom knew it. John knew it. There was something else that this was promised before. This is fulfilling a prophecy. In Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says this, A voice of one calling in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight uh, in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged plain the rugged places will be a plain. What's it describing? It's describing someone who's going away and like a bulldozer, getting rid of all of the traps that can snare us away from what we're doing. He's building a long, boring, straight highway. I-5 in California between Sacramento and Los Angeles, if you've ever been there, is a boring, straight highway. There is nothing to do. You can go to sleep as long as your alignment's perfect and you'll be fine. Okay? This is what he's doing. He's taking away the obstacles. The mountains are gone. Mountains were dangerous. That's where criminals hid out to rob you. He's taking away the desert. You get thirsty in deserts, right? Yes, it's also warm, which sounds great today. He's taking away the rough ground that make your tires bump and make the road uncomfortable. Isaiah looked forward to this. John was going to make the straight paths. He was going to make it easy to remove obstacles, to act as a guide, a map, instructions on how to find peace. This was John's role. And the first thing that that Zechariah says, he's going to show us a way to get to peace. And the first step comes in verse 77. Salvation, which is what everyone wanted, salvation through the forgiveness of sins. John will point to the only way that you and I have peace with God, which was what salvation meant to them, was through Christ. Nothing else just Jesus. If sin separates us from God, and it does, this Jesus is going to take away that separation. Jesus is going to mend it. Jesus is the source of peace. Romans 5, 1 says this, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. John's whole existence was to establish a way to take people to the source of peace. If you and I want to find peace, we need to find Jesus. If you want to find peace, it's not in the new job. If you want to find peace, it's not at the bottom of the bottle. If you and I want to find peace, it's not with a substance. It's not with a relationship. Peace is not found with the next great best thing. The only thing that you and I can do to find peace is to find Jesus. It's something that our world desperately needs. If people around us want to find peace, where do we take them? Jesus. 
There is no shortcuts. Every other, every other path doesn't lead you to that result. There's no, no other way to find peace. Everything else is short-sighted, temporary, incomplete. We find peace through Christ. The next aspect that Zechariah points to is in verse 78. Because, and we have this peace through the tender mercy, there's that word mercy again, of our God. We have peace in our circumstances. Why? Because mercy, a God who keeps his commands, a God or a God who keeps his word, a God who keeps his promise. It's the second time, third time this, this word is used in this passage. Mercy from a God who never leaves us. Mercy from a God who doesn't hold our sins against us. We have peace with God through his mercy. Hebrews tells us this in 4.16. Let us then approach the, uh, the God's throne of grace with confidence so that might, we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When do you feel the most absence of peace? When you're in the time of need. And what's Hebrews tell us? What's Zechariah tell us? Peace comes through the mercy of God. John pointed towards mercy, but it doesn't end there. He keeps going, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven and shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. The mercy that we find through Jesus, shown to us through John, shines like the light in the dark sky. It shines like the stars that we see every once in a while in the wintertime, or a flashlight in a dark room. In the, it, it's a, in a world seeking fulfillment, seeking light, we point them to Jesus. A guiding light to lead people to peace who are in the cycle of pain, disappointment, disillusionment, and even death. John was to show that there was a way that to peace and nothing that they had ever seen before would ever look like this. His name was Jesus. And I said this is about John, but it's about you and I. Okay? People are looking for peace. And if you have said yes to Jesus, you have said yes to the source of peace. And here's where we get confused. And I might try not to go too long. It's kind of one of my things. We're more apt to be nice to somebody, we're more apt to do something for someone, which is all good. We're more apt to hand out a sandwich. We're more apt to uh, do a gardening event or something. We're more apt to do service projects, which is awesome. But the service project will never point to someone's peace. It just gives them a nicer looking garden or it solves their hunger for 10 minutes. What people are searching for is not someone to come do something for them, even though that's good. What people are searching for is the peace that only comes through a knowledge of Christ. The church has gone away from this idea of evangelism. It's been turned into a bad word, and it's sad that it has. And I understand how it has. It's gotten a bad rap for uh, the last 10 or 15 years. We don't like to do it. It's awkward to say to someone, you know what you need, you need a relationship with Christ. And everyone goes, what? No, not this again. And we hand them a track, right? And it's got, we've got, we, instead, we, we do missions, but we do missions and not tell anyone about Jesus. Our world is hurting. And you and I are the Johns in this world. We've been given a mission. You have an identity. You are a child of God. You have a mission. Your mission is to show people the source 
of peace. Our role is the same as John was that day, to remove the obstacles, to show people that peace with God is accessible, and and peace in our lives is only accessible when we find it in Christ and nothing else. Your feet are the same feet that Zechariah talks about with his son, to prepare the way of peace for somebody else. How is the person across the street from you or across the cubicle from you, or if we're not in the cubicle, in the Zoom room with you, going to find peace if you never tell them about it? That's our job. It's not just my job. It is my job, but it's not just me. You all have a broader influence of people who don't know Jesus than I do. Unfortunately, I work around a lot of Christians, or sometimes I think they are, okay? They are. That was a joke that didn't land. (laughs) We'll try it again in a few minutes. But you all are around people who are looking for peace. And and, And our role in this world is to point to the person who brings peace. We've taken for granted a lot of those words from Francis who said, uh, you know, preach the gospel and sometimes use words. And so now we don't use any words. We don't tell anyone about the peace that we've found. And this passage is a challenge to me, and I hope it's a challenge to you. The world is searching for something to which you have the answer. And it's time we clear our throat a little bit. We've been silent like Zechariah for a bit too long. And it's time the church, you, me, and other churches start to talk a little bit more about the peace that only Jesus can bring. It's not found in the bar down on market. It's not found in the needle that we step over when we walk across the street. It's not found in the next election. It's not found in mask mandates going away. It's not found in a vaccine shot. That's not going to give you peace. And it's not going to give the people around you peace. True peace. What we're all searching for is Christ. You and I become the John the Baptists of the world and make the path straight for them to find Jesus. It's not that Jesus can come meet them. He's already done that. It's so that you can take them back to the foot of the cross and say, here's where peace begins. This is your source. That's our job. Jesus left us with the command, go and tell people, baptize them, Show them the way. It was heavy on the word tell. Tell them about me. What did Jesus do? Through his death, we have peace with God. We have been made friends. We were enemies, Romans says, but now we've been reconciled. We can have the reconciliation. We want the world around us to begin to be be whole, to look fixed. We want the frustration to go around us. It begins with the reconciliation between God and man the mercy from a God who keeps his commands. Zechariah was quiet, and he had a long time to think about this. You and I have been quiet. We have a long time to think about this. But today, may it mark the time where you and I, like Zechariah, open our mouths a little bit, become brave, and say, I have the answer you're looking for. and I'm going to tell you about it. This was his mission. This is what all the people were wondering that day about this kid. What is this kid going to do? Is he going to be great? Zechariah says yes. And God looks at us and says, what are you going to do? What are you going to accomplish in this world? 
you're going to tell people about my son Christ, Jesus. And people will find peace. Perhaps today you're here and you're like, I don't even know what this peace means. Oh, I'm glad you came. I would love to tell you about how you can find this peace. Because in order for us to tell people about Jesus, it's better if we have an experience with him first. And it's not complicated. It's saying yes to him. It's drawing near to him. In a few minutes, we'll do the old school way. We'll, we'll repeat a prayer. And if you've never prayed the prayer, I'd like you to pray it. And then if you pray it, come talk to me. I'm not going to make it awkward and have you raise your hand and do a dance and stuff like that. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you that we have peace. And it only comes through your son. It only comes through knowing Jesus. And we can do all the service projects in the world. We can do all the rallies in the world. We can raise all the giving tree things in the world. And if we never mention that true peace comes from Christ, all of those things might be in vain. Those things are good, but without Jesus, they're still incomplete. And so God, may you begin to work in our hearts a passion for the people next to us, across the aisle, across the, the street, across the Zoom waves, wherever they are, may you begin to bring words to our mouth like you did with Zechariah that day, and may we begin to break the silence. People are looking for hope, and we have it. People are looking for peace, and we have the source. People are searching, and we have the answers. So God, open our mouths. Give us words to say. Help us not to be jerks. Help us to offer hope to the hopeless. And today, if you've never experienced the peace of Christ, it's simple. Just repeat after me, God, I, I need a Savior. Jesus, would you come in to my life? Would you forgive me for my sins? Would you show me your mercy? Thank you for coming into my life. Begin to change me. Give me peace. Because you are the Prince of Peace. And God, may that message that you're the author of peace begin to spread in this community. May we see people come to know you through that. It's in your name we pray.